and welcome back to the Vintage Books Podcast. I'm Naomi, producer of the show, and I'm delighted to share a special episode featuring author Monique Roffey in conversation with her editor, Jeremy Pointing, from People Tree Press. Monique Roffey's The Mermaid of Black Conch is the spellbinding winner of the Costa Book of the Year and Costa Novel Award 2020. It follows a bittersweet love story set near the island of Black Conch between a fisherman and a young woman cursed by jealous wives to live as a mermaid. We wanted to hear more about this mesmerising tale from the author and its editor, about its journey from its beginnings as a manuscript to the award-winning book that it is now, published in paperback. We hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. Okay, uh, thanks so very much. Um, hello, everybody. I'm Jeremy Pointing from People Tree Press, the original publisher of Monique Roffey's novel, The Mermaid of Black Conch. People Tree Press is a small independent publishing house. It's been going for 36 years. We've concentrated primarily on Caribbean fiction and poetry and academic books and black British writing. So we've published something like a bank about 450 books over that period. Um, I've known Monique for quite a long time. We, we sort of shared the pre- presence of being at the Boca Slip Fest in Trinidad. So, you know, we, we've known each other for quite a long time through that, that kind of connection. And um, so it was, you know, it was when the novel turned up in, in, in our uh, pigeonhole then I, of course, knew who, who, who Monique was and was always going to be interested in what Monique had to say. I mean, I'd read earlier books of Monique's. I really liked The White Woman on a Green Bicycle. Although it was right from the start, a, a novel I knew we wanted to do, there were also things that, you know, came as sort of suggestions about what might need to be done with the novel. There were some interesting things. And, we, we, you know, these are the things we could, we could talk about in a bit more detail. I mean, the, the, the novel, in a sense, has two, or if not three, narrative voices. Um, you know, there is a kind of conventional n- narrator, but there's also David, the fisherman, the Rasta fisherman, who tells a story. So one of the issues that, that was kind of a, a backwards and forwards thing was how to distinguish David's voice and where to settle David's voice. And that went backwards and forwards between the extent to which David's voice was a really creolized voice, or to the extent to which it was clo- closer to a kind of a West Indian standard English. And those, those are issues that, that we explore. And then there were the usual kind of things about, you know, the pacing of the novel. There was a point at which I'd felt that the novel kind of slumped slightly. It, 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 there was a kind of, there were a lot of, lot of sort of authorial kind of questions in the middle of it which aren't in the final thing. So there was a slight kind of bit of stasis in the middle that, that, that again, we, 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 talk, we talked about. And then there were all sorts of things like, I suppose, what, what an editor is supposed to do is checking out things like the time scale and things. And probably it was only by the second reading of that that those kinds of things began to emerge as issues that we needed to deal with. So it, it was always a novel where you know, the, the 90% was, was always there as being kind of really solid and kind of 
had imagined and achieved. And there was just a kind of 10% that we needed to to and fro about. And, and you know, well, one of the things I will want to say is that it was a very pleasurable experience. That, that, that you know, that it was a genuine kind of dialogue. I think probably I should let, should, should, should let Monique in for a minute. So over to you for a bit, Monique. Hi, hi, it's me, Monique. I've just been listening. It's really fascinating hearing you talk um, about this, Jeremy, because my um, memory of all of this has collapsed completely. And so the things that I remember us tussling over, I'm, thank you for saying that it was 90% cooked or done already. And that there was, so that, that there was, it was quite, I remember thinking this book is like none of my other books. The other books were just such a labor. And this book seemed to almost arrive very formed um, early on. But the things I remember us talking about were, um, I remember I had a piece of writing, which I was, very proud of it and you said to me it's got to go <laughs> and I was like no I want it I want it and you're saying no we don't need that and I was like oh that was the only piece I thought okay we'll lose a page we did lose a page and then I remember um, David's journal because he's writing in the past and then you favoured him uh, writing in a kind of reported speech way for all the scenes and me trying to convince you no 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 we need the scenes but in a way we kind of found a middle way we found a halfway point where where the journals were descriptive and he is reporting what happened many years ago but we also break out into action and dialogue because I felt this is what works on the page so so I also remember it being quite a pleasurable easy happy experience and that I was also grateful that you picked up on various you know did they have did they have this then and did they have that then and was this right uh, you know certain inaccuracies or act things that definitely needed to be nailed down a question a question for you but about i mean it's always one is always curious about what is present what's present in a writer's head as the thing is developing and what it you know what is the kind of interpretation that you could you know you make afterwards and this one of the things i i kind of felt about as i was reading the mermaid was that that Akira is not the only kind of hybrid character. That in lots of lots of ways that that that, be, that becomes a kind of a metaphor for the whole book. That it, you know, in a sense that uh, Arcadia is is somebody who is div divided between diff different kinds of worlds. She's a, she. I mean, there's a nice scene where young Hank is trying to is trying to tell, sort of confess to her. And he's totally nonplussed by her because there is this white woman, but speaking Creole and, and, and kind of, you know, he, he can't place her, place her at all. So is that something that, you, you know, you were thinking about as you wrote or is that just you a know, lot, Quite a few people bring have brought this up and said, God, you know, everybody's an outsider. Everybody's a loner, these characters. And I am not sure I was so conscious about it. I would say almost everybody in my world when I go home is um, ambiguous, is, is, is racially ambiguous, is racially complicated and speaks um, on the also, as you mentioned, standard West Indian and also a more broader type of um, Trinidadian English. And lots of people you and I both know 
there's a spectrum of the of the dialect. There's posh, there's posh Trinidadian that you might see um, a politician speaking or trying to speak. And then there's an educated uh, UE lecturer might speak a Trini dialect in one way. And then you might have a, a Rasta or somebody speaking it completely differently. And then you have <clears throat> lots of people who speak both, who speak, who speak up and down the continuum. So people are code switching when they speak in Trinidad and people are multiracial. So this is what I'm writing about, really. It's showing up in my story is that people are really, really fused. It's a fusion country and, and it's a fusion um, language people speak. And, you know, you know that, you know. So I think what I've done may well be quite unconscious, uh, all these outsiders and loners and, you know, um, I feel it in myself. I feel I feel I've always felt that. It's clear that, that, that there is a, a great deal of research behind the book that's, that's very well disguised. It's there, it, it, it's imagined, it's taken up. Do you want to say a word or two about that process, both about what you had to research and how, how it, you converted it into imaginative writing? Well, I, I guess um, the, the, the reading I did was around the genocide of the first people, the the um, the story, this terrible story of the first contact between um, the Taino Indians and um, well, the ships, the Columbus's um, ships that came, um, and the only accounts we really have are this priest called Bartholomé de las Casas. Um, you probably know these books as well this book and he was so horrified by what he saw the um, Spanish doing to these people that he was like not in the name of Christ not not in my name this has got to be written down um, so I think it's something like six million people were genocided in 50 years um, these are people who had incredible um, complicated and hierarchical systems of power. They had chiefs, caciques, and they even had one or two female chiefs. Um, they had um, bull courts, they lived in communities, they built houses from timber, they lived in community, in community with each other, they lived in communities tribally, um, in family, they um, men took more than one wife. They, there's a civilization happening, um, a peaceful civilization. There wasn't, they didn't arrive to like one people. They arrived to one, um, to several tribes, um, to many people who were presided over this large expanse of land by many, many, many different tribes. And, and they were all fine. They weren't warring with each other, you know? And what they did to these people is just, I mean, I mean, just despicable. Um, and of course, uh, white people have done this in Australia, all over the world, all over the world. But um, torture of the worst kind, the most unimaginable kind, and um, humiliation. Um, they put, they started mining. Um, they put people to work, people died, people died of germs. And um, it was just terrible what happened in 50 years. Um, 
and we know that there aren't many indigenous people left in the region. So really, um, I did a lot of reading about that. You know, this myth comes from the Taino people. And so when Aikaia is, comes, is dragged out of the sea in 1976, the first, it's pre-slavery is her pre, you know, the African enslavement of people coming. And so she's like, where is everybody? You know, what happened to my people? And then she gets to find out. Moving on, I wanted to talk to you about your amazing career because you are, again, as I've said, a legend. I want to know what your, if you look back on the 36 years of People Tree, um, are there any standout highlights, books that you look back and you go, I did that, that was me, that person might not be in the world now, or a great person came to you and it was a pleasure? I'm thinking, you know, the big, yeah, big old. Yeah writers yeah yeah i mean it was i mean one of the, i mean one of the things i would say at the minute is that you know thanks to books like the mermaid thanks to the roger robinson and, and his t.s Eliot, we've been getting a lot more kind of attention than we've ever ever got in the past and that that's 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 brilliant you know, more reviews more kind of and, and more sales in the bookshops you know so that that, that the name of People Tree appears more, more often in the press and you know it is more kind of seen than, it, than it's perhaps ever been before. But I went went back and I was looking at the books we'd published 25 years ago, which would be uh, 1996. And there is an, there an astonishing kind of you know sort of quality of books that we were we were doing back then. You know, and, and I mean so that one of the things that we that we're you know perhaps trying to do at the minute is to look at you know look at that kind of record and i mean it, it, it is picking and choosing a bit but thinking there are books that we never really got the attention that they should have got in the past i mean one of the books that goes right back probably i think about 22 years or something like that ago was a book by a Guyanese writer an indian Guyanese writer called harishandra kemraj and it's called cosmic dance um I think it's still one of the most profound books to be written in the Caribbean about the nature of racial identity. Uh, it's for a male writer. It's very good on gender too, <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, looking back, those that you know, there are things like that which never really got the attention that they, they deserve. And just one last question. What advice would you give to a your younger self, and what would you give um, to any young person now who wanted to start up a uh, independent press? I would say the younger Jeremy would not have taken advice from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, good. So I mean, one of the things that uh, Kwame Dawes said about People Tree is that there was a phase where we suffered from what he called pathological optimism. Okay. And I think pathological optimism got people treated through some some difficult times. So that 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 was going. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have taken any notice of anybody. I was just going to plow on and and and, and keep going. Um, the advice I would give to to somebody young now is is go for it. I mean, it's so much easier. I mean, it's not it's so much easier to actually produce books. I mean, when we began, we were making books physically. I mean, you know, we couldn't afford to pay printers, so we we printed ourselves, we bound ourselves, we bound books ourselves. Yeah. Um, the whole business of actually getting books, getting the text of a book, involved kind of phototype setting, 
developing stuff, cutting it up, putting it on a light box, or you know, and sort of manually impositioning things. So that it was a very, you know, it's quite a physical and, and kind of um, complicated task of actually making a book. Now, these days, you just do it on your computer and send it somewhere. Mm. So, you know, the, the, anybody who wants to publish now, now has to con concentrate on the important things, which is getting the books right, and, and the, and investing in the editing process, and investing in, in the process of getting, getting people to know about them. On that note, I want to recommend some books to people um, who might be listening to this podcast. And the first is um, this book called um, How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. And it's her debut novel. And it was long listed for the Booker Prize last year. And it's a cowboy story um, told um, from the point of view of two young children who are dragging their father's dead body around. And it's about the gold rush. Um, and it's these two Chinese um, kids. And one of them is non-binary. And that's all I'm gonna say, apart from the fact that the language, I mean, if you, if you love language and poetry, um, she's a poetic, it's poetry. It's in poetry and prose form. It's a tremendous book. Um, so that's How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. Um, really great book. The other book I'm going to recommend is The Snow Line by Tessa McWatt, um, published by Scribe. Um, Tessa's uh, one of our greatest living writers. Um, it's set in the Himalayas. Four people go to a wedding and then they go up towards the snow line in the Himalayas. And it's a book that's um, very quiet. It builds and you're like, what the heck is this about initially? but you just get completely mesmerized as they ascend these mountains. Um, it's a book about race and identity and gender and everything, but we, it's set in a spiritual place. And I, again, I'm gonna leave you hanging because she, I, I actually cried at the end of this book and I felt like I was hit, um, uh, like lashed, I was hit. Um, by the meaning of this book, um, as I came towards the end of it, it's a great book, um, Snowline by Tessa McWatt. Um, and then this book by uh, Amanda Smith, it's out now with People Tree Press, it's called Fortune, and it's a great book. So goodbye, Jeremy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. We could have rattled on for at least another hour easily. And thanks again for being invited onto this podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Vintage Books podcast. You can find out more about The Mermaid of Black Conch and People Tree Press in the episode description. What are you currently reading? We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can find us at Vintage Books on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep reading boldly and thinking differently. <laughs>